Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity with Susan Shireko, where we help you transform your life by changing what you're telling yourself. Whatever your circumstances, you can experience health, financial security, and a sense of well-being once again. And now, here's your host, Susan Shireko. On behalf of Rebuilding Your Life Radio and the Train Your Brain, Claim Your Power calls, welcome. I'm Susan Shereka. The book we'll be talking about today is It Is All About Love, which is written by Reverend Eric Reddick. After a lifetime of traveling the world in, in his role in the ministry, Reverend Reddick retired, and one of the projects he undertook was to complete a book he'd been convicted to finish in 2015. Let's wave our hands to welcome Reverend Eric Reddick. Hello, Reverend Reddick. Welcome. Hi. How are you today? I'm so wonderful. The angels are blessing me. Well, praise God. That's right. The alter- I much prefer that to the alternatives. Yeah. Uh, Reverend, <laughs> you were active in ministry before you went to school to become a pastor. What were you doing yeah. in those early years? Well, I just, I always, once I realized um, my calling to God, um, I I was very anxious to share share it with other people. And so when I first joined the church and started working, I became aware of some free airtime on a television station. So I went to the the elders of the church and suggested that we do a TV show or something to promote God and the Bible. And, and so I was challenged to do that. So I started the television ministry, my ex-wife and I, and uh, it was called to know Jesus. And um, I produced it, edited it and spoke on it for seven years live. And then another year with reruns afterwards. So that's, that's how I got into that. And, and was that a full-time job? No, I still had a full-time job. That was something I did on my spare time, supposedly, if there's such a thing. <laughs> when you're doing something like that, I don't know that there is spare time. You know, one, <laughs> one thing or another will take your that spare time and eat it up. So what kind of work did you do once you became a pastor? Well, I I pastored churches. I was um, when my first my first experience at pastoring, I was actually still in school, and I received a, a request to associate pastor a church about seventy miles from where I was um, going to school, and so I was an associate pastor there. And then while I was still in my last year of school, I received a call to pastor a church, or actually a few churches in New Mexico, because I was living in Texas at the time, and they would fly me in every weekend to do church and fly me back to school. So I was ready to go back to school on Monday. So I did that for half a year, and then I became full-time, and I went right into just to pastoral ministry. And I'm so surprised that they paid to fly you in every weekend that I I was not aware that churches did that in order to get pastors. 
Well, some do, I guess, because my, <laughs> uh, mine definitely did. They they wanted to, want, they had a, a church that needed to have a pastor, and they had already interviewed me at college and at school about it before, and so they offered me the job, and they were they weren't paying me full salary, but they were paying me probably half, and they would also pay for my hotel while I was in the city there, and then they'd fly me back to go back to school. It was Fantastic. an amazing thing. Yeah. Yes, I, I I'm I really am surprised by that. But I guess when it's you're in a remote area basically and there there aren't a lot of pastors to be had. So it's worth it to invest that money in somebody you like. Yeah. At that time yeah. I actually had three different churches at one time. <laughs> now how do you arrange your schedule? <laughs> yeah, they were out in the country, like in three mm-hmm. different towns. Well, and and were they nearby so you could drive between them, or did you have to? Yeah, the furthest one was about 80 miles from where I was living, and um, one was in the town I was living, and the other one was about 20 miles from where I was living, and they were all just little towns that had small churches, and so I would alternate week by week in going to the other ones, and so everybody, I could be at all three of them as much as possible anyway. So that's yes. what I did with my first call. As I My first call, I actually was pastoring three different, I was kind of like one of those old circuit preachers they used to have in the pioneer days or something. Now tell me, did how many years did you stay in the in serving pastor, pastoral communities? Well, at that, that particular place, I only stayed about three and a half years. I, uh, then I received a call to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I uh, pastored there for like seven years, I guess. And then I received a call to Santa Fe, and I pastored there for four or five years. And then I... I have a hereditary disease that came up and I had to go on disability. So, so I guess altogether probably, yeah, 15 years or something. Yeah. Wow. A pastoral ministry, but plus my seven years in the television ministry before that. So over 21 years altogether. And that's quite a, that's quite a history to go through. Uh, When did you, or how did you come to write the book? Was that while you were still actively in in the pastor role or afterwards? Yeah, I was when I when I first got the idea to write the book, it was right after when I was in uh school still to you know, taking all my classes to become a pastor, learning Hebrew and Greek and homiletics and all of that kind of stuff. And um I I just kept running into people who had an erroneous idea of who God is. And I kept hearing all these different theories and ideas about the covenant and what it's about and what it means. And most of the ideas, or many of the ideas I heard, didn't match up at all with the God that I had found in Scripture. And so I was convinced, um, convicted 
that people needed to know the real God. And so I decided I was going to write a book about the covenant and about God that showed the true nature of God. And so I was convicted to do that. And so I actually started it right after I got out of school. But then when I got in pastoral ministry, the ministry itself took up so much time that I barely worked at the book at all. I would do a little bit once in a while. And then a few weeks later, maybe do another couple paragraphs. And then maybe a month or two later, I'd do a chapter. And then I'd go along. So it was very sporadic at first. But then in 2015, I was convicted that God wanted me to finish the book. So I hunkered down and worked on it every day, and I was able to get it uh, completed and published by 2016. 2016, okay. Now, um, tell me a little bit about the way you've laid this out. I have, uh, I know you have a, uh, a, a particular sense of God coming from the covenant, coming from both the Old Testament and the New Testament, um, and some of the the stories that, that are examples. Do you actually put the biblical passages in the book so that you are referring to those items in your, in your discourse? Yes, uh, very much so. The book is full of scripture. And uh, in fact, I was kind of concerned because you could only have a certain percentage of it being scripture in the book. And, but I was able to get it under the percent, uh, the percentage you were allowed. And, and, but it's, uh, it's all based on Scripture, and it's based on Scripture and my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's all based on that. Now, that is a, a, the relationship with Jesus Christ is, is a personal relationship. Is, do you feel like that comes, is it experiential or that it actually comes from um, gospel words as well? I believe the you know I believe the Bible is living word. I think that it you know the the problem is you know a lot of people don't like the Bible or don't read the Bible because they haven't been able to understand it. They just glance over it, try and read it like a novel, and they don't realize that it's a compilation of writings from the prophets of God over a period of like fifteen hundred years, and so many of these people never met each other. They weren't even in the same country, and yet the message, the primary message, the truth, is always the same. It always it, it adheres. And, you know, people talk about, you know, contradictions in the Bible, but when you really get to know God, there are very few real contradictions. What it is is that one author, just like when you're looking at, there could be four people at an intersection on different corners of the intersection and a car accident happens and the police interview all four different people and they get a different perspective from each person because each person is looking from a different angle physically as well as their emotional and physical sense. So all of those things affect it, but the core message is the same. And that's what's so amazing to find this kind of continuity over a period of, like 1400 years over 60 or you know many authors and it's just amazing but when you find out who god is and he was the same god that created the earth in in seven literal day or six literal days as the god who hung on the cross and died for the people and and a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people think the god of the old testament was stern and and 
mean and ready to strike you down, but the God of the New Testament is love and compassion. And nothing could be further from the truth. God is love, the very definition of real love, one who lays down his life for another. That's what real love is, when we're willing to put others above our own needs, our own desires, and that's exactly what God has always done. Now, um, this this image of God, this loving father figure that carries from the very beginning of the Old Testament, is Jesus in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you read the New Testament, um, Jesus himself said, he, he, when he was talking to the people, he said, you search the scriptures in order that you may have life. And I tell you, these are they which testify of me. So even Jesus himself proclaimed that the Old Testament, because they didn't have the New Testament when Jesus walked the earth. The only scripture they had was the Old Testament. And he himself, by his own mouth, proclaimed that these testified of me. And I found that to be true. The entire Old Testament is, is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. But it's all about Jesus, and it is all about how much God loves us and how he wants to be loved by us. And yet we have that troubling little thing that pops up, which has to do with Satan and evil and Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, where, what do we think about, you know, when we look at that, when we look at Genesis 1, and God sees his creation, and he sees that it's very, very good. And then things go awry. Where, where does all of this fit into our image of God? Well, the thing is, is that uh, Lucifer, who we refer to as Satan or the enemy or whatever, the people give him different names, he was actually a covering cherub. He was one of the cherubs. Now, the cherubs are a particular type of angel that have four wings and and they were the ones that, like if you've ever seen a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, it shows angels with their wings outstretched towards one another with their heads bowed, but there's nothing towards where they're bound because God is spirit, and so there's no image for God there. And those covering cherubs, they're a specific kind of angel that was on either side of the throne of God. And Satan, or Lucifer, was one of those angels. He was one of those cherubs, a covering cherub. The Bible tells us that in Ezekiel and, uh, and also in Isaiah. And when we understand that, that there was a war in heaven, and Lucifer was cast to the earth, and all of his angels were cast with him. Now, I believe that God created a perfect universe, everything in order, but obviously it isn't that way now. This world is all out of whack, and the universe itself is out of whack. That's why we have asteroids smashing into planets, and we have to have people watching here so the Earth is, you know, because one will hit us eventually. And, and I believe that all of those things that show disorder are a result of the great battle that took place in heaven. But then when Lucifer gets cast to this Earth with all of his angels, what does he do? He goes after the people that God created for love. And God warned him about him. God told the people, told Adam and Eve. And, but he, 
He gave us everything that we need. He gave us a perfect world. There was no death, no disease, no pain, no suffering. In fact, it says that there was nothing that would destroy. But then Lucifer came and says, God's a liar. You know, because he kind of questions Eve. He says, did God really say you can't eat of all the trees of the garden? And Eve knew he was lying. And she even corrected him. She says, no, we may eat of all the trees in the garden, but of the one tree that is in the midst of the garden, that tree we shall not eat of it, nor shall we touch it lest we die. Now, now, so she corrected him in the sense that he was trying to make it seem like God was really a tyrant. You know, he wasn't letting him have any of these beautiful trees. And she said, no, it's just the one. Well, God had given us everything. He, he created the world, he created the seas, he created the fish, he created the animals, the grass, the food, everything. And he did it for us. He created a perfect environment and put humans there. But in order to, just so that they could show whether they loved him or not, because the whole reason God created humans was so that he would have somebody to share life with, someone that could love him as he loved them. And so as a, a, a way to show that we loved him rather than just ourselves and what he could give us, he put that one tree and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he told people, don't, he told Adam and Eve not to eat of it. And because the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And what happened? The, the devil gets up in the tree. He's sitting there eating the fruit. Because the Bible says when, and, and he's telling Eve, he says, you will not surely die. For God knows the day you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the temptation wasn't the, to be immortal because they already had that. They were never supposed to die. The temptation for Eve was to be like God. And that's exactly what he got thrown out of heaven for, because he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be over God. And he was cast to the earth. And so what does he do? He goes after the people God loves and says, well, if I got to go down, I'm going to take all his people with me. And that is the story of, you know, how the covenant began, how blood sacrifice began. It all had to do with, with people choosing to believe a lie in order to become gods themselves. And to this day, that same lie is perpetrated through all of society, whatever country in the world you go to. People want to be, everybody wants a savior, but a lot of people don't want a Lord. They don't want anybody having dominion over them. They want to do their own thing, speak their own words, wear their own clothes, eat their own food, but be called by his name. And isn't that the truth? It is a, a serious problem running through all of society that we want to be, we want to be all powerful in our own lives and make all the decisions. And then we That's find right. out we don't have the power to do it. And we, fa we failed miserably. There is a passage that, is, that comes to mind regularly for me. It's all things happen for the good, for those who love God, and are called to his purpose. Absolutely. And I don't know I don't normally get into political or world events with any depth um or specificity. But it seems that in a time when it's all about love 
and we're talking about God as love and we are looking around us at world events which are staggering at this moment. Um, Lots of time talking about the end times. Lots of time um, trying to second guess other earthly beings who want to be all powerful. Um, Where do we find God in these moments? How do we well, how do we maneuver not maneuver how do we reach out and really get that grasp that relationship to give us comfort? Well, I think the the first way that you grasp through it, and you know, God put like a lifeline here on Earth for us to to be able to have something we can rely on. So, in a world where you can't really trust anything. And you know people are people, and then in the right circumstances, almost anybody could do something wrong if the situation is right for them to do it. He gave us the Holy Scriptures. And the Holy Scriptures, unlike what many people believe, they're not just ancient writings and scribblings. They are a lifeline, something that we it's like an anchor so that we can have the truth when nobody knows what the truth is. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, there's so many inconsistencies, there's so many contradictions. And if you really study the word, and if you really look into the history, where it was happening when the prophets wrote it, and, and look at what's going on, you find out that it's not that there's contradictions, it's that one prophet is explaining something, or one person, like one of the apostles, explain something from his point of view, another one is explaining the same thing from his point of view, and another from his point of view. And everybody is looking from different angles. And so some people add details that the other didn't. And so that's why you need you need to have the entire word of God and understand to understand who God is. And and the Bible tells us who God is. And you know, um, in in First John, chapter four, it, you know it tells us um, if if anyone says that's actually First John chapter four verse twenty. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And and. And then we also see in John, you know, in in John chapter four, uh, 1 John chapter four, verse thir- uh, sixteen, and and First John four seven through eight, we find out that God is love. He is the very definition of love. So, if you don't have that understanding, and many people don't, because they've heard of a God that wants to kill and wants to punish and wants to destroy, and the Bible actually says that is not who God is. Sometimes God has to resort to that, but it doesn't it's never motivated out of hatred or vengeance. It's motivated out of love. Even the destruction of the Canaanites. You know, and a lot of people bring that up. That's genocide. That's horrible. Yeah, but what they don't tell you is how long, how many years, how many centuries God had been reaching out to those people, trying to to woo them to his side, to show them the truth, to teach them who he is and what love is about. And they just rejected him boldly and, and partake of, 
human sacrifice, sacrificing their own children, and God knew that that particular people would be dangerous to the whole organism of humanity. You know, the Bible, the Bible in the New Testament tells us that we are his body. And that's the way God looks at humanity. He looks at the world, and he doesn't look at this country, that country, that country. He looks at the world, and the people on the earth are like a living organism. They are the body of Christ. Now, just like a human organism, if you go to the doctor, let's say, because you have a black mark on the back of your hand that just keeps getting bigger and it's been there for years, you want to go to the doctor to find out what it is. Well, so the doctor examines it. Turns out that it's black melanoma cancer, which is a very deadly cancer that metastasizes easily and spreads through the whole body. Every once in a while, the doctor will tell somebody in that situation, I'm sorry, we're going to have to amputate your hand. Now, he isn't saying that because he wants to hurt the patient. He isn't saying that because he wants to destroy their livelihood. He's doing it because he knows that that cancer is malignant, that it spreads, that it will spread through the body. And if the hand isn't removed, the entire body will perish. So imagine the entire world is the body of Christ, like the Bible says it is. Now, what if one section of the body is so rebellious against God and so evil-minded and everything they do is about selfishness and their own perversions and all of this stuff, it's just like that cancer. And every person in that group of people is like a cancer itself. So God would have to command to have that cancer cut out. And if you leave even one cell of a cancer tumor in a body, what happens? It grows right back, right? And mm -hmm. so sometimes God actually has to destroy an entire group of people because they were a cancer to the organism of humanity. So even the act of destroying that particular group of people is totally motivated out of love for all the people. Because God, knowing the end from the beginning, knowing that he has reached out to these people for a hundred years and they have not responded, they reject all his calls, he finds out, he knows if he wants his people to grow and prosper, you've got to cut the cancer out. And so those are the cases when we hear of things like genocide, like the flood and things like that. Every one of those things, as horrible as they sound to the human reasoning mind, were an act of love to preserve the body of Christ. Heavy words. Heavy words to understand, I think, for most people. Oh, but yeah, absolutely. How, yeah, how have people responded to this book? Well, every rating I've gotten is five-star ratings. I was just talking to another guy that said it's, you know, that, People in Australia really like it, and it's been people in um, England like it and stuff. So, I mean, I get five-star ratings whenever I get a rating, so people must be liking it, I think. Mm -hmm. where, uh, where is it available? It's available where books are sold or on Amazon.com for right now. I'm working on a new deal, but... Um, but for right now, probably Amazon would be the easiest and most recognizable place to uh, to purchase it. Mm -hmm. 
And who published it? Uh, Westbow Press. It's a division okay. of Thomas Nelson Publishing. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And where where have you been able to promote the book? I know that a lot of people have not been able to do very much in the last couple of years because of uh, the COVID virus going around. But uh, have you found ways to to get the word out? Not too much. I mean, I have given some books away, and I've had many calls of publicists. And I just did sign a deal with a publicist, so I will start promoting it. But due to my uh, physical situation and the things going on in the world, I have not done any marketing on it whatsoever. And have you written other books? I'm in, yeah, I have one book called The Other Side, which is uh, talking about what happens to people really when they die, according to Scripture. And mm-hmm. I have another book that I'm working on right now called The War in Heaven and the Gods of Men which is talking about that war I mentioned earlier where Satan and all the angels were cast to the earth. And uh, I found through studying different religions that almost all of them have in their history, in their ancient documents, a story of a great war in heaven where gods were cast to the earth. And these are many of the gods that, like the the Egyptian gods, the Greek gods, that were worshipped in ancient antiquity, and they were actually the, I mean, because you've got to think about it, these angels, these people that were with Lucifer, they were celestial beings. They had been in the presence of God. They had, you know, technological knowledge and understanding of which the people 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago had no clue of, you know. Could you imagine what a flashlight would look like to people 4,000 years ago, you know, what Mm -hmm. a a lighter would look like. Anything that we take for granted today would look like magic. And so I believe that these beings that were cast to the earth set up, because the whole reason the war, the Bible tells us the whole reason the war started is because Lucifer himself wanted to be God. And so it started a war. He got one-third of the angels to believe him, and they fought against the angels of God and were eventually cast to the earth. So what do they do on earth? They come to earth, they set themselves up as gods, and the primitive people worship them. And that is what my book is, my current project is about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Is there any particular message that you want people to take away from It's All About Love? That the covenant is all there for us. It is to protect us. It is to restore us. You see, God created that perfect world in Genesis. There was no death. There was no disease. There wasn't even thorns until after people sinned. And so people need to understand the covenant isn't just, even the law itself is there as something to protect us, to keep us safe, to bring us back to that place where we were before the fall. And see, the entire covenant is God's continuing effort to get us back to that place. And since we fell from grace because we sinned and everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, God himself came to the earth in the person of Jesus Christ to take the world of our sins upon himself so that we, by accepting him, by making him Lord of our life, we can get back to that place when God creates the new heaven and the new earth wherein 
everybody will have the same mindset. It will be the mindset of love for God and love for one another. And it is only then that the world and humanity will ever really be able to understand what God has always intended for us from the beginning. Well, thank you, Reverend Reddick, for sharing your thoughts in It's All About Love and your upcoming books, The Other Side and The War in Heaven and Gods of Men. Um, For our listeners, a reminder, we've been speaking with Reverend Eric Reddick about his book, It's All About Love. So it is available where at all bookshops, probably online, certainly via Amazon. Thank you very much for listening today. And thank you, Reverend, for being with us. My pleasure. Glad to be here. Good. I'm glad. Well, that sums up today's program. That's all for us. So have a great day, and we'll listen again soon. All righty. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for tuning in today. If you've been inspired by this show, leave a rating or review on iTunes and visit www.rainbowsoverruins.com to receive a free chapter from Susan's book. On behalf of Susan Shereko, this has been Rebuilding Your Life, Moving from Disaster to Prosperity, Sharing the Journeys of Those Affected by Sudden and Great Loss and What They Did to Heal, Rebuild, and Where They Are Now.